But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you If I don't say the words then maybe it's not true Hi, welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. Delighted to see I'm joined on this pre-recorded show with Ben Jacobs uh, to do a transfer show. How are you, Ben? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, very good. Good to see you, mate, as always. And let's start with the uh, the new arrival who finally uh, uh, managed to uh, hold the strip up, wear the strip and do a, a bit of PR. Sandro Tonali is uh, in Newcastle now. He's a Newcastle United player. What, what have you made of the, the, the PR put out by Newcastle with regards to that signing first and foremost? Well, I think it's a fantastic signing for Newcastle and I'm not surprised they're making a song and dance about it because there was certainly a point in the deal where there was a lot lower confidence that it could be done and at the rate that they wanted. So to get that over the line for 70 million euros as a package is an excellent bit of business. And it's one of those where the fee will seem high and a record for an Italian player surpassing uncomfortably Jorginho when he moved to Chelsea from Napoli but that type of profile, you invest. So the fee should be seen as an investment, not an expense. And now it's kind of up to Tonali to grow into that price tag. And anybody that's seen the player will obviously be aware that he's far more than just a defensive midfielder. He's really a number eight. And I think we've spoken about this before, that he offers a kind of modern and progressive and even attack-minded approach to what we would usually consider to be a more central or conservative kind of role. And because he has both aspects to his game, the tenacity, the defensive nous, but also that ability to be progressive and direct and chip in from an attacking perspective, it really makes him box to box. And I think when we say box to box, we sometimes misconstrue that as a player that constantly is trying all the time to get from box to box. And yes, players do that, of course. But for me, what's impressed me having watched him is how disciplined he is. So if he's asked to play as a number six, as a defensive midfielder, he can drop back and do that. If he's asked to play in a more attack-minded role and push forwards, maybe Newcastle are chasing a goal, he can do that. So box-to-box sometimes, I think, is associated with stamina and energy and players almost deciding they're going to take the ascendancy and boss the centre of the park. And of course, that's true and very welcome qualities. But I think where he'll really fit in is that intelligence and discipline to follow slightly more rigid instruction when needed from Eddie Howe as well. And that's exactly what Newcastle need too to bring the best out of the attack-minded players around him. So Newcastle are delighted with this deal. It shows their ambition. It shows that they are prepared to spend maybe a little bit more ahead of the season in the Champions League. And I think that a bit like when Bruno arrived, he's going to quickly become a fan favourite. Nice little touches as well, having uh, Kieran Trippier at the changing um, mm. the changing rooms at the training ground, coming up to see him, and um, you know Dan Ashworth there as well, having a chat with him. Eddie Howe, of course, just you know, just that little twelve minute video tells you a lot about you know what Newcastle United are like, you know when when new arrivals you know turn at the club, and I think that the key point with Trippier was that. He'd actually, you know, he talked to him about being in the same board himself, of course, when he went across to Atletico. Um, you know, he was the he was the new boy, but he's also the foreign lad in a, in a foreign country and, and, and more or less put his hand out and said, I can help you if you need help. You know, make sure your missus gets settled as well, because if she's happy, you're happy. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. We forget sometimes that these players, especially the ones with big reputations and price tags, are young. Tonali's only 23 years of age he's moving to the Premier League and when you look at the career to date I think the advantage of that 23 year old is that he's actually played a lot of games for Milan so he's not like other 23 year olds arriving having had a positive experience on the big stage and even when he was at Brescia before that he was playing a ton of games so I can't think of many his age that have played this many matches. It's well over 200 senior career appearances. And that will help. But you're still moving to a new club. 
a new dressing room, a new culture. And as you say, the fact that these Newcastle United players are going out of their way to integrate shows you really what the key to success was last season because a lot gets made. We've had this conversation before about previous Newcastle signings and how they've gone from relegation to Champions League. But Newcastle have always been quite disciplined and really the key to last season was the chemistry and the unity. And yet that comes from tremendous signings like Trippier and Bruno Guimaraes, but it also comes from getting the best out of Joe Linton or Miguel Almiron. And part of that is down to this team ethic and this bond. So when people criticise Newcastle posting dressing room team photos, I've never really got it because these are not staged in the sense of everyone get together and pretend to smile and look how fun we are after we win. And here's a glimpse inside the dressing room. Now everyone put your headphones on and go your separate ways. The closeness of the group extends well beyond that. And if you look at the Newcastle boys at the England camp, their big personalities and they're liked by their international teammates. And then if you look at the Tonali signing content you again see players that are present and looking to help and looking to not almost be self-centered and that's like a very underrated quality because the bigger your team gets the bigger your dressing room gets the bigger your star power gets it doesn't matter who you are and yes there's different extremes like star power at PSG and historically at Manchester United to maybe younger dressing rooms like Arsenal at the moment where the stars are not necessarily of that ego-driven ilk or commercially viable stature where they could be bigger than the club. So you do have different extremes, but at every big club, you're always going to have stars. You're always going to have big earners that are young. You're always going to have different personalities and you're always going to have competition. So either you embrace that and you think what's right for the club and what's right for the culture. And this is what Eddie Howe's building with kind of humbleness in quite an understated way. Or alternatively, you think, yikes, someone else has arrived that might be a threat to my position. Someone else has arrived that might be different in the dressing room and there could be cliques. Someone else has arrived that's earned more than me and maybe is younger. And that can cause friction or problems or issues because not everyone likes change, especially footballers that are playing regularly. So I think that's all credit to Newcastle because they've got that balance right and that's going to set them in good stead for next season. No, it certainly will. Um, other news over the weekend. Um, obviously, the players were arriving um, you know, back in for mm. a little bit of pre-season stuff this weekend. And uh, Eddie Howe, of course, um, you know, gave the players a fitness programme to follow over the summer. So he was uh, running basic tests on people. But in amongst all of that, there was an announcement that uh, Carrius and Dummett, uh, obviously our mm. goalkeeper and our left-back, have both signed extensions um, to, to contracts and keeping them at the club till 2024. Yeah, and I think that this is smart from Newcastle. Um, both of the players, again, know the club and the culture and will be very useful squad players. Of course, from Dummett's point of view, I think he's 31 now and he'll be Newcastle's longest serving player. So that streak continues and Carrius again is 30 and will also extend to add that sort of depth and cover. And I think the logic behind this is twofold. One, with uh, Dummett, left back, cover, and the club kind of need that. And two, they feel that he's a fantastic character who offers a lot off the field as well. I think that he's been at the club's academy since he was nine or 10 and I think his debut was all the way back in about 2013 so that's 10 solid years and well over 200 appearances for Newcastle so I think it makes sense that you would want to keep him and then from Carius's point of view still relatively new of course at the club I think it was only September when he joined in 2022 and that was always on a short-term deal so now this is really just an extension and Obviously, from Carrius's point of view, he hasn't made a Premier League appearance yet for the club, but he infamously came in for that Carrigo Cup final defeat to Manchester United in February. So uh, the kind of player that you want really around because he's not necessarily 
worried or pushing for that challenge Nick Pope role. But I think Newcastle are well aware that throughout the course of this season, they will need to vary it up a little bit because if everything goes according to plan in the Champions League, and I still expect Newcastle to take the domestic cup competitions very seriously, then it's a long season ahead. And as much as you don't want to disrespect, say, a League Cup or even an FA Cup, and I don't think Newcastle should do either because they got to a final of a League Cup last season. And there's plenty of fans out there that would almost say, if we finished top six instead of top four, but won the League Cup, we'd be delighted with that because it's a trophy, it's consolidation, it's still stability. So Newcastle are going to want to take everything seriously, but they are going to kind of have to put a ranking on things because of the amount of midweek games um, over the course of the season. Therefore, we, we might well see Carrius get an opportunity here or there. So this, I think, is very much about depth. It's about experience. It's about leadership. It's only short-term extensions. And it makes a lot of sense, I think, on both counts. Mm. OK, uh, other news over the weekend. England under-21s um, had a triumphant weekend. Uh, ben, did you get a chance to watch any of it? I did, yeah. I mean, it was a very dramatic finish in the final against Spain where we saw James Trafford save a penalty, I think, eight minutes into injury time with almost the last kick of the game and then the rebound he stopped to. And he, of course, is off to Burnley now from Manchester City. And England didn't concede a single goal. So everything that could have possibly gone right for Lee Carsley's men did. And we saw some absolutely outstanding performances and the best of them across the tournament, at least officially speaking, was of course Newcastle's Anthony Gordon, who was named the player of the tournament and he got two goals and one assist. And what was interesting, obviously, about the tournament with Gordon is that for Newcastle, he's been primarily used out wide as a winger or wide forward at times within game management or set situations, but he was very much deployed at this tournament as a central forward. And I thought that he was mobile. He got goals against Israel and Portugal and was just heavily involved and energized and integrated into the chemistry of the team. So to win the trophy, great. That's the first time that England's men's team have won the under-21 Euros since 1984. But there's just a few key things here. One is momentum. We spoke about this a year ago with Miguel Almiron when he was starting to light it up in pre-season. And no one was really that fussed about it. But you and me were discussing it at the time and saying, you know what, it just might get him kick-started. And again, this tournament just might get Gordon kick-started. So first of all, it would be interesting to see whether Eddie Howe watches where he plays and learns anything from that. And second of all, I think if he comes back to Newcastle and continues in a wide role, which is probably more likely, how can Newcastle get him more involved? How can Newcastle get him more central at times? And how can Newcastle get him on the score sheet a little bit more? And hopefully this tournament will be the catalyst to really get him started. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, great, great tournament. Well done to uh, England under-21s. Uh, TV uh, fixtures are, are often a bane of football supporters' lives duly to the fact that the away games uh, are a nightmare to get back from. Uh, Newcastle, of course, victim of this again. Brighton away, 5.30 on a Saturday means that uh, Newcastle United's fans will now have the, uh, you know, the, the daunting task of either having to try and get back from Brighton by bus or car uh, after the game, or uh, spending the night down in Brighton. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the fixtures have come out, and Ben, and Newcastle home to Aston Villa, Saturday the 12th of August, Saturday the 19th, uh, Newcastle are on TNT, mm. 8 o'clock against Man City, then we've got the Sunday the 27th of August, Liverpool at home, 4.30 on Sky, Brighton, as I've already mentioned, is away, 5.30 on Sky on the 2nd of September. 17th of September, Brentford at home, 4.30 on Sky. And then Sunday, the 24th of September, Sheffield United away, 4.30 on Sky. So, once again, the TV listings playing havoc with the fans. But it's good news for Newcastle. Still seem to be the uh, the broadcaster's team of choice. Yeah, I mean, for those that have the opportunity to watch the games on TV, it's very welcome, of course. But... We have to find a way to respect the TV rights holders and give the slots that work for them, but also 
think about the fans and that requires the club and the Premier League to also liaise with the authorities as well to make sure that if you're going to change the TV times, has anybody actually spoken to, for example, the train or coach providers? And I know there's private coaches and I know that some people will choose to drive, but the trains are important to many as well. So one of the most interesting things is this new Saturday eight o'clock kickoff, which for Newcastle, I think their first one will be on the 19th of August away at Manchester City from memory. And you have weekends where there can be strikes and the trains are not always as reliable. And instead of it being a 5.30 kickoff, it moves to a Saturday night kickoff. So, okay, Newcastle to Manchester is not necessarily the furthest of journeys. And perhaps that's why the time has been picked specifically. But fundamentally, you have a game that instead of kicking off at 7.30 or 7, which would have been perfectly fine, ends up kicking off at eight, which presumably is because they want a little bit of spacing between something that could still be at 5.30. And obviously throughout the course of the season, we see these staggered kickoffs where you might have a lunchtime one, a three o'clock one, 5.30 one, and now an eight o'clock one. But obviously if you're a Newcastle United fan or any other team with that eight o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, and obviously we've had this on a Monday night as well, so the time is nothing new, but the Saturday time is then it's suddenly going to finish at 10. You're not going to be out of the stadium before 10.30. And we know that on a Saturday, sometimes the last trains going back to places are at 11. So you either have to rush straight out of the city or you have to decide that you're going to have a drink or maybe even stay over and then work out a way home. And I think that it's going to be really important throughout the season that fans are consulted and even though television rights holders are respected, we make sure that these games are feasible to get to. Otherwise, you're going to get a situation where if Newcastle on that Saturday were actually playing, let's just say, Brighton at eight o'clock on a Saturday, then I think there's a fair chance that all Newcastle fans going would either have to get a hotel for the night or would choose not to go and watch it on television instead. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, season, that's for certain. And TV fixtures will always be the bane, as I said at the top of the piece about uh, you know uh, footballers, uh, football fans' lives. Uh, St James's Park tournament has been announced. Uh, the inaugural Seller Cup, which will be presented by Visit Malta, uh, will take place on the weekend of the fifth and sixth of August. Uh, the teams taking part, of course, Nice and Villarreal, uh, Florentina uh, as well. Um, how important is it to have home fixtures, you know, before the season starts for, for the team and, and the new players in general, I guess, Ben? I think that we have this sort of feeling with pre-season generally where you reserve a big game for at home towards the end of pre-season and then every other game is sort of away from home and travelling around. But then the bigger you get and the more visible you are globally, the higher quality of opposition you can attract. And I think from Newcastle's point of view, to host a tournament at St. James's Park is going to be very welcome. And I think the fans will enjoy it, seeing the likes of Fiorentina, Nice and Villarreal. It's three very solid teams to play against. It's an opportunity, like you say, for players to get used to St. James's Park if they're new to the club. And alternatively, you maybe just get a little bit more stability so as much as everyone likes and fans like going away and obviously not everything for Newcastle will be only in Newcastle, but as much as kind of everyone likes to travel, you have to have a balance because when Chelsea, for example, last summer went to America, it was a highly disrupted preseason. They were jumping from place to place every three days. It was hot. It was sticky. There were planes, there were trains, there were coaches, there were traffic jams, your training pitch changed every day you don't really get that normality. So to get the Newcastle players over the course of that weekend, I think it's the 5th and 6th of August, into that match day routine will be really very helpful, I think. And the other thing to say, which is credit to Newcastle, is that Newcastle women are also involved across the weekend as well. I think they're playing West Brom on the 5th of August. Yeah, that's and right. That's, I think, significant too, because it shows that both the men and women's team are being given a bit of a 
dual stage. And effectively, this is an example of Newcastle kind of stepping up a little bit and elevating themselves because they have now that brand awareness, that success, that Champions League football. So we're starting to kind of see the wider strategy behind this now on the brand side. How can you leverage St. James's Park? How can you draw top opposition? How can you integrate men and women? How can you make a big weekend of it? And there'll be plenty there, for example, that choose to come and watch the opening game, which I think is Nice via Real before Newcastle play, and then straight after it, the women play. So you can actually watch three games in one day. And then again, before Newcastle play the following day against Villarreal, you can watch the other game, which I think would be Fiorentina against Nice. So actually, there's an opportunity to watch five games in two days, all at St. James's Park, and keep the players local and get a taste to some of them of St. James's Park. So it's really smart. It's good for the brand. It's obviously decent exposure for Seller as well, because they're putting their name to it. And this is kind of club meets brand meets pre-season. And for the fan base that don't want to travel and follow pre-season, it's local too. So I think it's a really good idea. And on top of that, it's an opportunity to see some of the new faces at Newcastle United in the latter part of pre-season before the business starts. And by the time we get to that sort of first weekend in August, you would have thought that Newcastle will have one or two more through the door. Uh, we've been talking about a, a documentary that's, um, uh, you know, it's available on YouTube about the, uh, the, the the case with Manchester City, Ben. It's um, it's a fascinating documentary, and I'm not sure whether you've actually had a chance to watch it. But, you know, if you have, um, you know, then, it, 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 you know, if you haven't, sorry, it, it's about the Manchester City case in particular. Uh, I mean, what, what's your views with that now? I mean, it seems that it seems that you know, nothing's going to happen with that. You know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. What, what What's your views? Where are we at with that? Because this 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 particular documentary is quite an insightful one. And I think a lot of supporters of who watched it find that, you know, they find it hard to believe that Manchester City haven't really been, you know, that, for instance, the two-year Champions League ban hadn't been, you know, hadn't, you know, hadn't remained. You know, they, they, they went, they appealed and, and, and they won their appeal. What, what, what's your view on all of this? And, and do you think we'll ever see an end to it? Or do you think they'll continue to kick the can down the road? No, I think we will have to see an end to it. And the key is really going to be the Premier League panel that are investigating these 115 alleged financial breaches. It's an independent panel commissioned, if you like, by the Premier League. But those running it and looking at the charges are entirely independent. And from there, we'll have to wait to see whether or not there's any punishment. So the history behind the Manchester City charges was via the UEFA investigation and Manchester City subsequently went to the Court of Arbitration for Sport and were able to overturn their ban. And this is why Manchester City have always maintained that they're innocent and legally speaking, they are. But the difference is that the Premier League can consider charges and there's no opportunity for Manchester City to go to CAS. So there is an appeals process, but they cannot go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. And the second key thing is that there were certain aspects, one or two, that are unveiled in the documentary that you mentioned. Yeah, Britain's that, biggest football scandal, it's called. I was trying to find yeah. the name there, Ben. I was unprepared, sorry. <laughs> Britain's biggest football scandal, it's a YouTube documentary. And one of the sort of interesting things in it, perhaps the most interesting thing, is that the documentary creators got hold of a... UEFA report that wasn't published. And in that UEFA report, it's not clear if it was a final one or why it wasn't published, but they got their hands on a UEFA report. And in that report, it says very clearly that UEFA believe that Manchester City used a broker to make two payments of £15 million on behalf of a sponsor called Etisalat. And that would be effectively seen as disguised equity, getting somebody to pump money into the club instead of the sponsor paying it. And Manchester City argue that the sponsor Etisalat paid it back at a later date. But obviously UEFA are concerned as to why there would be an injection into 
the football club under the pretense of a sponsorship payment, allegedly, via a broker. And why would Manchester City's owners need to use a broker and why wouldn't Etisalat just make the sponsorship payment? So that's very unclear. But the point of that allegation is that under the UEFA rules, they couldn't investigate it because it was what's known as time barred. So too long had passed. And as a consequence, it cannot be considered under the UEFA remit. Now, with the Premier League investigation, they can consider that. So it's highly, highly likely that that is one of the 115 charges that the Premier League's independent panel will take into account. And obviously, if that is an unexplained payment still and is deemed as disguised equity, which is illegal, then the Premier League can punish Manchester City. And I think that within 115 charges, it's going to be fascinating to see whether or not the bar for severe punishment is significant or is almost anything. In other words, what are the entirety of the 115 charges? How severe are they? Because when they were released and you actually cross-reference the sort of coding on them against the Premier League handbook, it looks like there were some errors. So it would reference in breach of rule, let's just say A3, and then you'd go to A3 in the Premier League handbook. And even if you went back to the Premier League handbook from the year in reference, the actual charge was about the grass on the pitch is too tall, which obviously has nothing to do with financial charges. So it's going to be interesting when it's actually outlined. And if we learn what the entirety of the 115 are, how many of them are highly serious, how many of them are highly unprecedented, as are alleged. And remember, Manchester City fervently deny they're guilty in any way. They, they've stressed repeatedly that they've done nothing wrong. But also by high bar, I mean, how many of the 115 need to be found guilty to significantly punish Manchester City? Is it all 115? Is it at least 100? Or could it just be what? And if it's one and it's one damning charge, then what can the Premier League do? So my sense is that this is going to drag on simply because um, even if the hearing happens within the next calendar season, there's still an appeals process that can be done either via the Premier League or Manchester City. And as a consequence, I wouldn't exactly be expecting an immediate answer in terms of next steps or potential punishments. I think that this is going to rumble on for still quite some time, unfortunately. And it's very difficult, therefore, to take a judgment on it because it may appear that the Premier League's panel are not doing that much, but obviously it's a legal process. So you'd also expect it to be quite slow. And we also have to respect the privacy behind it. I think it will go on for a while, Ben. I think you are right. And Everton, any any news on, on what's happening with Everton? That, again, seems to be dragging on. Yeah, not a great deal of news on Everton at this point. The backstory is obviously that Everton during COVID had declared these bigger losses, which you can do under the COVID restrictions to kind of balance your books, but they were much higher than other clubs, which raised a few red flags. So uh, Premier League clubs, or some rivals of Everton anyway, have requested that Everton's charges for these alleged financial breaches of the top flight rules uh, were fast-tracked, and that request was rejected. So the clubs had hoped that that might mean that any punishment would be handed down um, last season, and it hasn't. So now, obviously, Everton are safe, and there won't, for example, be a points deduction retrospective to last season. And that means that it's going to drag on into this season. And I think that it's been inevitable for quite some time that any punishment, including that points deduction, would always come after the end of last season. And we now know that to be the case. So it's not influenced Everton on last season. Everton's still adamant that they've done nothing wrong. And even if they were to be given a points deduction, they could still appeal as well. So the, the backstory here is that, for those that don't know, in March, 
the Premier League had announced that Everton had breached the so-called profit and sustainability rules over a three-year period ending in 2022. And from there, there's a disciplinary process that must be carried out. And there's never really been an indication as to how long Everton's case would take to be completed. So we have to sort of wait now to see, first of all, when a likely result on this is going to materialise, but second of all, whether Everton are going to appeal it. Because if they choose to appeal it, then it's going to go round and round and round in circles for a little bit longer. So I think we're still in the dark, unfortunately, on the Everton front, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, it's uh, a bit annoying for those people who uh, you know, were relegated last season. And um, yeah, that one is another one which we will watch uh, with interest. OK, halfway through the show, time for the ads. A big thanks to all our sponsors. Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 2545 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website, skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. Thanks to Mr. Vicky's Sources, which are handmade in Cumbria. Their website is mrvickies.co.uk. If you want to contact the guys, email info at mrvickies.co.uk or telephone 01768 210102. Big thanks to New Workwear. Uh, they are an agile and dedicated workwear provider launched in 2018. For more information, go to the website newworkwear.com. Big thanks, as always, to Media Arts for the help with the video side of things. If you want to support the channel, hit the subscribe button, become a subscriber today. Hit the thumb up under the video, which likes the video, and click share to share to your other social media. Click join if you want to become a member of the channel for as little as $1.99, or take a one-off payment uh, for the cult membership. You can get in via this QR code if you've got a smartphone, or look for membership pack on the website, nufcmatters.com. What do you get for your one-off £25 payment? You get a scarf, a pen, and a cup, and a membership card, and entry into the monthly draw. Don't forget, if you want a car sticker, all you need to do is subscribe to the show, and then email John at NUFC Matters, and he will post you a free car sticker out. We're also available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And we also support the food bank on this channel. NUFCfansfoodbank.co.uk is the virtual match day bucket where you can make a virtual donation 365 days of the year. The new Alan Shearer raffle is underway. 150 tickets at a pound a ticket. You could win a limited edition signed Alan Shearer ball from the 260 dinner. Enter now at nufcmatters.com. We've got a few events coming up. August the 5th sees Gavin Peacock at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Tickets are £10.00. And you can get them now from nufcmatters.com. Our Christmas event takes place on the 7th of December at the Tyneside Irish Centre. And that's an evening with Frank Clark. Tickets are £15 and available from nufcmatters.com. Finally, Waddle, Keegan, Beardsley and Friends. The Class of 84 is on at the Town Theatre and Opera House on Westgate Road in Newcastle on Thursday, January the 25th. Tickets are now available from the Town Theatre and Opera House dot co dot UK or telephone 0844-2491-000. That's the box office telephone number 0844-2491-000. Okay, welcome back to the second part of the show. Let's have a look at some transfer ins and out which may take place or may not take place at St James's Park. Harvey Barnes, we've been around this uh, with James Madison, Ben. Now with Harvey Barnes, there seems to be heavy links with uh, uh, the Leicester player to to move to Newcastle. Uh, fee maybe's in the region of around about forty million. Um, personal terms would have to be agreed, of course. But uh, what what's your what's your instinct on this one, Ben? And, and and if he did come to Newcastle, what would he what would he bring? I think Barnes would be a fantastic signing. Maybe Newcastle fan base more fixated historically with Madison and won't be quite as excited by Barnes. But you only have to look at what he did last season in a season when Leicester went down to realise what he can bring. 13 Premier League goals. And if you add that to Newcastle's team this season, 
they'd have a great chance of getting enough goals and points to qualify for the Champions League again. And even in the previous season, for Leicester, did okay as well, but he's nearly doubled his goal-scoring output in terms of Premier League goals. It's more than double, actually. It was six last season and it was 13. The It, it was six two seasons ago and 13 last season. Uh, but for the last three seasons in all competitions, he's got into double figures of goals. So that tells you what he can bring. And in terms of the deal, I think that it's fair to say there is a slight gulf in valuation between the clubs, but they've been quietly working away and talking about the deal. And a formal bid is expected to go in next week. So I know this goes out on a Monday, which means by the time you're watching this, we wait and see whether the bid's already been placed. And 40 million might be a little bit ambitious, to my knowledge, in terms of what Leicester could get. That is the number that they'd ideally like. But I think that Newcastle may well come in a little bit lower than that, if not considerably lower than that. I was told that the maximum Newcastle would be uh, prepared to pay is, is more like 35 million and that the formal bid that goes in could even be under 30 million. So um, we have to wait and see whether that's good enough in order to get a deal done. But to my knowledge, Barnes is um, very much open to the move. Um, and Newcastle at this point of front runners. So West Ham also have been keen on Barnes, but uh, haven't yet moved to any degree. And uh, Aston Villa and Tottenham have taken a look in the past as well. But this one, uh, at the moment anyway, at the time we're recording it, is in Newcastle's hands. It's just going to come down to whether or, or not they can strike a deal with uh, Leicester. And once you see that Madison goes for 40 million, there's add-ons on top of that, um, Leicester may be setting that as a bit of a yardstick and saying we want something similar for Barnes. But I think that Newcastle will stick to their guns on this one and they'll hope for a deal uh, for a little bit less, I think, if not considerably less than the numbers that we've seen reported so far. Yeah, never go in. I, yeah, that's the way to do it. And Newcastle certainly uh, shrewd operators in, in the transfer window. Another name that's been uh, bandied around this week with regards to Newcastle United is Leonardo Bonucci at uh, Juventus. Um, I, I've got to be honest, I've scratched my head at, at this one. Um, yes, experience, you know, plenty. But what, what's your thoughts on that, Ben? Yeah, very strange. I don't see it happening at all. And obviously, at 36 years of age, what would really be the logic? And you've also got to think about wages as well, because he's on close to 7 million euros net per season. So Newcastle would have to have a big outlay, pay a lot of wages, even if he took a wage cut, and they would get a 36-year-old. So I'm not so sure that there's anything significant in this. What I can tell you is that it's not advanced in any way. I'm not even aware of any really serious conversations and there definitely hasn't been an offer either. So it's normal to look at who's out there on the market. It's normal to see whether or not the type of deal is possible. But I think this is one where people are again confusing PIF with Newcastle and PIF with Saudi Arabia, because what I know for sure is that Benucci was considered by Saudi Arabia and his representatives met with PIF representatives and the player made it clear that he's not so sure about going to either Saudi Arabia or MLS and would actually like the idea of doing one more year in European football. So then maybe people hear of that and they start making Newcastle links as a consequence. We heard this supposedly with Ronaldo and a fake Newcastle-specific clause. And obviously, people were putting nonsense out there about Ruben Neves and how he was going to be loaned to Newcastle. So sometimes I think there's just confusion because PIF wear many hats. And one of them is, of course, Newcastle. But the PIF delegation that are facilitating the Saudi Arabia deals are not Newcastle's sporting directors. Newcastle's deals are being done and led by Dan Ashworth. And to my knowledge, Dan Ashworth has not had any conversation with the representatives of Leonardo Bonucci. And if that changes, it would have to advance throughout the course of the window. But on paper, it doesn't really look like a deal that would have too much benefit to either Newcastle or the player. Um, and, you know, the uh, other thing is just if Newcastle were to bring in a centre-back, 
then uh, I, I would presume that they would want a squad centre-back and a young centre-back for the future that could see a pathway, not a 36-year-old centre-back that, if everyone says fit, would be on big wages and most likely be sitting on the bench. Yeah, I think a lot of this came as well from uh, people feeling that uh, maybe Sandro Tonali would benefit from, um, you know, from from having an extra Italian at the club. So, you know, it, it, it is strange where some of these stories come from. Other links, of course, this week uh, with, with Italian clubs. Kevin Zeffi at Inter Milan was one that we uh, we got on Barry Armstrong's list this week. Um, there was also uh, one other as well, if I can just find it. Uh, yeah, Sam, Samuel Illing Jr., who's at UV. Uh, two more uh, names at Italian clubs. Thoughts on those? Yeah, I mean, with Zeffi, first of all, uh, I think that it's a slightly different profile uh, who could well leave Inter. And he's only, from memory, uh, about 18 years of age. And at, at the time that he had signed for Milan, um, he was a hot prospect be, being looked at left, right and centre. So this one um, could have a little bit more to it. It would obviously be one for the future. And um, there's a real advantage to uh, sign somebody from Inter at this point. Uh, it is likely that the player will leave. Um, and it, it, it will just depend on whether or not Newcastle and a few other clubs choose to move. So uh, that might be one to watch. Uh, we'll, we'll sort of have to um, wait and see. And um, the other player that you mentioned, Samuel um, Illing Jr., uh, is, is another intriguing one. Um, he was born, I think, in Islington. He's been playing for England under-20s um, and actually started his uh, youth career at Chelsea before uh, moving to uh, Juventus. And um, this is a uh, player that um, Juventus would really prefer not to lose by all accounts, but they, they may have to because of their financial woes. And that means um, that a player that perhaps would have had a price tag at around 20 million might be available in the market for more like uh, 10 uh, million. And um, it'll be a shame for Juventus if it happens because he kind of made his senior debut in Italy last season um, and was a bit of a plus in a very poor season um, for Juventus. So Newcastle have certainly scouted the player. I know that Manchester City are well across this situation uh, as well. And um, from the top of my head, I think there's two years left on the contract. So it gets to the point where there might be a deal to be had. So I, I'm, I'm not, again, aware of anything particularly advanced uh, at this point, but I am well aware that if the right offer comes in, uh, then Newcastle um, or Manchester City or any other club would have the opportunity to strike a deal. I know that PSG are across this one too uh, and have taken a very close look. And uh, Thomas Tuchel at uh, Bayern uh, has uh, also uh, indicated that he's a hot prospect for the future. So uh, let's see if anything happens. I think with Vlaevic, which is Chelsea and Manchester United, and I think with a younger player like Illing Jr., um, there is a chance as things settle at Juventus and the magnitude of their financial situation and board upheaval becomes apparent, there's very much an opportunity towards the second half of the window that we'll head into once we get into August for some kind of deals to be done for their players at bargain prices because uh, Juve may have to sell. OK, uh, let's look into the uh, Premier League links. Only a couple this week that we uh, we could find anyway. Trevor Chalabar is one um, at Chelsea. Chalabar, I think, is very interesting because you look at uh, the situation and I don't really see too much pathway for him at Chelsea, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, the advantage for him at Chelsea is the fact that he can play centre-back, right-back or defensive midfield. And that could be the appeal to Newcastle as well. Um, but centre-back, 
you've got Baddy Shield, Colwell, Fafana, Silva. Uh, yes, at right back, uh, Aspilicueta has gone. Um, but you've got Reese James, you've got Malo Gusto. Um, and obviously in defensive midfield or central midfield, there's Enzo Fernandez and there might be Moises Caicedo. So it's very difficult to really understand where he's going to get any game time at Chelsea. And that may create a window of um, opportunity. I would term the future uncertain at the moment. And I would say that the player uh, may be open to a move away. Um, but I think from Pochettino's point of view, he really hasn't decided yet. And he wants to assess a lot of these players. Uh, the same with Conor Gallagher as well, historically linked to Newcastle uh, before any um, categorical decision is uh, made. So uh, Newcastle were well aware of Chalibur in January as well. The same for Conor Gallagher, the same when they looked at Pulisic, who's now gone to Milan. Uh, but it's not 100% clear at this point whether um, Chelsea will want to sell. Uh, but the player would be open. So uh, I would say it's one to watch. But again, nothing I'm aware of that's concrete on the player or the club side yet. Um, and, you know, also the thing with Newcastle is that uh, I think if they're going to add, um, let's say, two more for now, I think they will look for uh, left-back and I think they'll look for creative-minded midfielder and then young centre-back. And um, in the case of um, Chalabur, um, even though he's 24, so he's technically young, he's old enough to want the game time. So um, I'd be interested to see where he fits into Newcastle's team is another question. Uh, how, do you, how do you give the player a pathway that says you're going to play and here's where you're going to play and what position? Because he's been right back at Chelsea. He's been centre back at Chelsea. He's played defensive midfield at Chelsea. So there, there's a few questions around this one um, that, that don't make entire sense for me between Chalibur and Newcastle. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, but 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 let's wait and see. Divine Mukasa is a is a name which I've got to be honest, I I hadn't really heard of. Um, Newcastle World went pretty big with this on their website uh, this week. Um, what what's your what's your your thoughts on on him potentially coming to Newcastle? Yeah, I don't really know a great deal about this one, other than probably what's out there already. Um, as you say, it's getting a bit of online traction, if you like. And um, that is uh, largely because um, the the 18-year-old confirmed on, I think it was Instagram, that he's officially left uh, West Ham. Uh, very, very talented. And um, I know that West Ham are not particularly happy uh, that they've lost him. And let's not forget they lost Harrison Ashby. Um, but other players as well, like Jamal Baptiste and Sonny Perkins have all lost West Ham. So uh, they will be very um, disappointed by this one. And um, now we have to sort of wait and see, really, um, because um, the players left. Um, so I, I know that Newcastle had looked, but I also know that um, Rangers... Uh, had taken a, a look to um, and um, several Premier League clubs are aware of his um, situation. So whether or not he's got a club in mind or whether or not he's looking at a variety of clubs at the moment, I have no personal knowledge on. Um, so we're going to have to wait and see whether in the next few days anything moves. Um, he'll obviously want a new club by the time the season starts and um I think we can say that Newcastle are aware of his situation. Um, but I think Rangers are genuinely pushing as well to try and get that deal over the line. Yeah. Uh, a name that's been, you know, in and out uh, of the news of Newcastle's Kieran Tierney. Um, mm. Again, this is back in the news this week. Uh, Chronicle and the Shields Gazette uh, both saying, you know, that, that there is potentially going to be movement on this now. Certain things getting, you know, worked out in the background, etc. Teams that may have coming from, you know, settling on other, other players in the same position. Of course, he made 36 appearances in all competitions uh, last year as part of Mikel Arteta's runners-up Arsenal. What You know, this one's going to move. He's clearly going to move at some point, Kieran. 
uh, Tierney. What, what is Newcastle a place you know you, you could see him turning up at? Yeah, I mean, you would think so. In January, I broke the Newcastle interest in Tierney and it's not gone away. But first and foremost, Tierney has to have that conversation with Mikel Arteta, a bit like Harry Maguire will do with Eric Ten Hag to decide whether or not he's happy with his role at the football club. And he's seen his game time diminished due to Alexander Zinchenko. But Arteta really likes Tierney. So it's all going to be driven by the player and whether he wants more first-team opportunities. And if so, then it's a possibility that Newcastle move. I'll be interested to see the price tag. I think it will be somewhere around £30 which is quite steep, but you're getting an established Premier League player. Um, With respect to Dan Byrne, someone that I think would start in his place. And I think that's what Newcastle would ideally want, is starting left-back, and Tierney ticks that box. But if they wanted him and uh, they were adamant they were going to move for him, they would have probably uh, done that earlier in the window. So I think what stopped them moving is the fact that the player has been in the early part of the window still um, undecided. Um, But there is, as you say, a very realistic possibility that for the right number and with player buy-in, Tierney will leave and um, Newcastle... Uh, have a concrete interest for sure. And now we have to wait and see whether the price is right um, and um, they um, move. Um, and, um, you know, the thing about Tierney is that he, he offers leadership. Uh, it's relatively low risk because of the games that he's already played at Arsenal. Um, and um, I think that Eddie Howe would appreciate a player of that ilk um, because in that position a first team starter would be welcome Uh, and then you know whilst we're talking about fullbacks just a quick one as well on Liveramento uh, you read me mind which is also uh, possible not a done deal uh, there's issues over valuation there's nothing really in this Chelsea buying him and loaning him back to Southampton. So I think that if anything happens, it's just going to again be about fee between Southampton and Newcastle. But I think he would be a fantastic signing and Newcastle's interest is very much still there. He's had a horrible time with injuries. So he wasn't really a part of Southampton going down. He only returned towards the back end of the season and um, made a, uh, a few sort of cameos. I think he came back in late May and that was after well over a year um, out injured, having done his ACL. So um, at his best, um, he could be, uh, I think, an elite fullback, big reputation. And there still could be an opportunity there for Newcastle. Mm, okay, interesting. We'll watch that one uh, over the next week or so as well. And uh, fingers crossed that we get another player in sooner rather than later. A couple of other names that that caught my eye. Cade Cowell from San Jose Earthquakes. Really, really was a strange one. Reported by Goal. Um, I've never heard of the guy. Um, I've never heard of the team. Never heard of the team either. No. I mean, you know, I've researched it now, but yeah, I mean, that's that's a strange strange one from, from wide left again. And, you know, again, it just shows you we're up to 184 players linked since the 6th of June. So it, it does show you sometimes, you know, it can be the most innocuous link, uh, Ben, for, for Newcastle to get a mention in dispatches. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the aspects in all of this is just that Newcastle have been looking in different uh, markets, for sure. Um, that is absolutely true. And in terms of uh, this uh, particular player, Um, What we uh, have seen is uh, he's one of the most exciting prospects um, to um, come out of the U.S. men's national team uh, youngsters, um, plus the fact that he's already played over 100 times uh, since making his debut for the San Jose Earthquakes back, um, I think, three years ago in 2020. And only then was he uh, 16. So he's, he's probably 19 now. Um, 18 or 19 anyway. Um, 
And uh, he's already won some international caps as well. So uh, it's absolutely normal that clubs would be uh, looking. I think that Milan and uh, Bayern were probably the ones to take a more um, serious look. Um, But um, as I say, with Newcastle and Darren Eels in particular, uh, even though he's not driving the recruitment, uh, he's well aware of that. Uh, part of the world um, and um, the sort of US soccer uh, infrastructure and uh, the benefit um, of that in terms of um, signing young talents and doing so at a decent uh, rate. So uh, I I wouldn't rule out Newcastle looking in a market like that, but I think that the players basically said he's not aware of any Newcastle links. He's just flattered by them. So it tells you once again that these stories sometimes just get made because someone's sent a scout somewhere and ultimately scouts watch hundreds and hundreds of players and then only seven or eight get put on a short list. So Uh, you can never discount it because you're often tracking a young player over the course of a few windows to see their development. Um, So let's see whether Newcastle explore the US market. Sorry, apologies. Uh, Last one is Lewis Gibson. Should, should Should we look at a player who left the club, you know, potentially coming back, Ben? There's nothing wrong with bringing a player back for sure. Um, I think that um, it it makes um, some sense uh, in some ways. Um, It's obviously not going to happen at this point um, because he's joined Plymouth. Um, But, you know, might be one sort of for the future, um, a centre-back with a, a big potential who's done well for England under... Uh, 20s um, was obviously at Everton previously and had a lot of loan time Um, I think last season it was Bristol Rovers but that might have been his third or his fourth loan Um, and I don't think the move to Everton saw him get any Premier League time but he's still only um, I believe 22 years of age off the top of my head Um, but like I say, last week, um, he um, moved to Plymouth. So if Newcastle are to uh, track him and consider him, then uh, they're going to have to play the long game on that one. Yeah, it's a strange one just to be linked with him, I thought. You know, just, just to even have that link uh, about going back in for him. You know, they let him go. But yeah, Kesara, Sarah, what will be, will be. It's been a fascinating show as always, mate. Thanks for your insight and your... Uh, your thoughts on potential dealings. Anything happening at Leicester, Ben? We're losing Harvey Barnes, maybe to Newcastle. <laughs> but no, I mean, they've done pretty well, Leicester, in fairness. They've brought in what I would consider to be a couple of very championship-savvy signings. And um, this is why I would say they're um, one of, if not the favourites, to come back up. But y- you can't really judge Leicester in many ways um, purely because you have to understand who's still going to go. So Harry Winks, Connor Cody, excellent signings for the championship. And then let's say Madison and Barnes go, Leicester then have to work out who else they might lose because there's interest in Diddy, there's interest in Iheanacho, there's interest in Castagne. And obviously it's one thing looking at Leicester and saying, great, all of those players are going to be really strong championship players. And of course, someone like Ian Acho could easily get 20 plus goals in the championship and fire you back up. But all that has to happen is you lose two or three more. Uh, and then suddenly the Leicester that went down is not the Leicester starting the season in the championship. So this is why I think they've been quite clever to make sure that they've brought in very established, pretty experienced players that still have got room for improvement. Um, and I think when you look at Winks and Cody, uh, they, they should be very, very solid in the championship. So let's see. I'm reticent to make a prediction about Leicester until I, I, I'm aware of the full squad heading into the new season. Uh, but I do think we'll be okay. 
Great stuff. Ben, as always, thanks for your time, mate. See you soon. All the best. Have a good week, everyone. We still do seven NUFC Matters show a week for free. But if you want to help support NUFC Matters, then there are a few ways of doing it. Hit the like button on each live broadcast and video. This helps the channel grow. Hit the subscribe button and select the all notifications bell so you don't miss a single show. If you want to help us financially, then you can join the channel using this button with the membership starting at $1.99 a month. Or you can drop us a donation in the chat using a super sticker. We're also looking for sponsors. If you'd like your brand advertised on the flies for the show and featured during the ad break, then email john at nufcmatters.com to arrange today.